Recording in progress. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We ask that you please allow us to receive your word today. Let it resonate in our hearts. Let us apply what we need to apply and demonstrate it through our actions and reactions. And also, God, allow us to pray about all things. Each and everything that you show us, Lord, allow us to pray about it. Let us come boldly to your throne of grace and pray about all things. Let us pray without ceasing, Lord God. Father God, I thank you so much for filling us up with your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, thank you for giving me access. And I and I just pray that you allow me to, you know, deliver the word today and minister the word today in a way that is edifying to the hearer. And it also provides hope and um it, it provides hope and encouragement to those that are lost and filling with despair and hopelessness through the power of the word of God. And so I just pray that I can influence others through the power of your word. God, and that you please allow your will to be done in our life and that um, you give us the ability to have discernment continually, Lord God, because we need discernment in this world. Allow us to always be led by your Holy Spirit into righteousness. And please, God, allow us to just, you know, like reject all of the things that are evil and wicked, Lord. Let us reject those things. Do not allow our, our bodies or our minds to be under subjection to anything that is evil or wicked, Lord. Please, God, we just ask that you just please allow us to be subjected to the power of your Holy Spirit at all times and influence and encouraged by you god we want you included in our choices and decisions and most importantly god we would like for you to be able to you know guide us and, and for us to accept all of the things that you show us lord god even things that we don't know how to respond to god give us the courage to be able to know how to communicate with you and build a bond and a relationship with you god we just want to be able to be doers of your word and not just hearers of your word so god we ask that you please allow your will to be done not anyone else's but your will in the name of jesus christ it is still in your home and blood amen thank you all so much for joining me today on laws life and health let's talk about it so um today i'm continuing on the discussion of women's health what i wanted to talk about is um finishing up on the discussion about sarah including um talking about the um it was some other things that I needed to talk about. So I'm going to get right into the word. But before I do, I wanted to go over some housekeeping rules. The first thing, if you're joining me via a Zoom webinar, please go ahead and put your questions right there in the uh, Q&A. And I'll be sure to respond to you there. Now, if I cannot see your message for some reason, please go ahead and raise your hand. I can see that because it pops up in the middle of the screen. Now, if you're joining me via a uh, iHeartRadio, either um, Apple Podcasts or Google or Podbeam or any of those social media um, audio uh, platforms, please go ahead and put your comments in the comment section. If you wanted to join via um, live or as a panelist or host, you will have to come into the Podbeam room um, on the Podbeam app, okay? And um, also, if you wanted to get prayer so if you wanted to send over a prayer request please send your request to laws life health at sudden changes corporation 
org. Once again, that email is um, lawslifehealth at suddenchangescorporation.org. If you are interested in becoming an author or if you needed to do some uh, mandated community service or volunteer or maybe complete an internship, please go ahead and send your email to info at lawslifehealth. No, I'm sorry. Info at suddenchangescorporation.org. Okay, so um, that's where you would send that to. Now, also, if you wanted to suggest a topic, any type of topic, just go ahead and send that email directly to me. You can send it to Deanna Watson at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. All right. That's spelled D-E-A-N-N-A Watson at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. All right. Let, let me go ahead and share my screen. here we go so um so yesterday i had talked about how we are supposed to basically nourish our testimony and to um, make sure that we're including our testimony so um i would like to continue talking about that but before i do let's go back to the scripture here it is proverbs 22 19 through 21 it says, so that your trust may be in the Lord, I teach you today, even you, have I not written 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge, teaching you to be honest and to speak the truth, so that you bring back truthful reports to those you serve. So God wants us to give a report for the things that we're going through, right? And so the people that we serve are who? Each other, the people that are in the, within the kingdom of God. And also to those people that are lost. But they are they are destined for God's holy nation. Okay, it also says, I wanted to go to another scripture. Um, I think it was under this one already. So I was looking at I was looking at the article yesterday about 10 reasons to share your testimony. And so we had already went over why your story is unique, even if you don't think so. Um, the second thing we went over was God's word tells us to share our hope as a believer. So when we look at 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verses 15 through 16, let's go to that scripture, 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. So it says here, I like to do the side-by-side -side version so that that way we could actually, let's see, is it going to let me? Okay, so um, 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give them a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak malishly maliciously against your good behavior and Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So that's the new international version. The King James version says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, 
as of evil doers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So it's so it's important to know that even if people are speaking bad about you, you are still God's child. So when they slander you, it doesn't really matter because your conversations are centered on Christ. When they make up stories about you, it doesn't really matter because guess what? Your conversations are centered on Christ. When they're talking about you in a way to, you know, demean you or degrade your character and personality, it doesn't matter because guess what? You're who God says you are and your conversations are centered on Christ. So, um, this is important to understand because God wants you to know that, you know, regardless of what is said, regardless of what people assume about you, it doesn't really matter because mo your conversations are what centered on Christ. So you have the ability to change the trajectory of your life with you focusing on God. And so, like, I could tell you this, like, so most people that know me, like, when they used to know how I used to be, they'll be, like, focusing on my old character and my old personality. And so now that I don't, like, I'm not that way anymore. You can't just assume things about me because, for one, like, I have loved God my entire life. Yes, I've had disagreements with the Lord in my past, um, but I love the Lord, my God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins so that I can have life. He was crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. He gave me the Holy Spirit. We have access to the Holy Spirit, so we have access to God at all times. That means so much to me. So let me explain this to you. It does not matter about what people assume. Because their assumptions will never equate to the truth. It does not matter about what they think. Because their thoughts can never be correct. When you are a child of God, there is no weapon that can be formed against you that will ever prosper against you. And that is the truth. So a person can assume, they can keep guessing, they could wonder, and they could slander. They could say whatever they want. But you just remember, you are who God says you are. So make sure that your conversation is centered on Christ. So now that is what I do. When I'm having conversations with people, my conversation is centered on God. My conversation is always going to be centered on God. If it uh, if it deviates from that, I don't really like having long conversations about it. Now, for instance, if I'm in a workplace and the the job that I'm working, they're not, you know, like they're not like a Christian based organization. You know, when I'm talking to my coworkers, I'm still going to talk about God. If I'm at school, well, simply because I am in these classes all year round with the same students over and over again, I don't necessarily have to quote the scripture. I'm going to still say the scripture. 
They don't know that I'm saying the scriptures. But they're going to hear the word of God come out of my mouth. So that's the important thing. Um, so what we must do is understand that anytime a person asks you about the faith that you have, what this means to me is that anybody that asks me anything about the word of God, I should be able to answer it. So if you ask me any scripture in the Bible, I should be able to answer it. If you ask me about any story in the Bible, I should be able to answer it. Because God wants us to what? He wants us to give a reason for our hope. We give answers to people who ask. I believe in God because he saved me. He delivered me. He protected me. He comforted me. He answered my prayers. He answered my questions. He was there for me. God gave to me. Even when I wasn't worthy of receiving. That is why I believe in God. God allowed me to escape an abuse of marriages. God allowed me to escape situations in my life. I was have been kidnapped. I, I've been through a lot of things in my life. God has delivered me. So... We have to be able to give an answer for our hope. I I have my hope and my trust in God because he directs my paths. He advances me. God has authorized me. So my enemies are enemies of God because I am his child. So God has given me the authority. To represent him in his world. So if if I have an enemy, that enemy is also an enemy with God. Because God has given me the authorization to do his will and to speak his word. So when you truly understand and know what your position is. You understand that no weapon formed against you, none shall prosper. So this has everything to do with women's health. You have to know how to give a reason. What, why do you believe in God? Why? Give a reason, your testimony. God has delivered me. From the hands of my enemy. So we think about all the things that God has done. God delivered me from an abusive marriage. Not just one, but two. God also delivered me from a, the, uh, a family that was racist. God delivered me. He set my feet upon a rock. God is my fortress. He is my rock. God is everything. God answered, have answered every single questions I've ever asked him. All of them. 
That is why I believe in God. Every time I call upon God, he is there for me. That is why I believe in him. He never abandons me. He never gives up. He never, ever ignores me. And, and, and during moments of silence, God has equipped me to know what the right thing is to do. So I'm already equipped with his Holy, with the Holy Spirit. So when God is giving me silence, I understand as a mature child of Christ what to do. So we have to be willing to give an answer. We have to be able to give an answer. We have to be ready. It says, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asking you a reason of the hope that is in you. And you do this with meekness and fear, meaning you do it with gentleness and respect in a way you're, you're being respectful and gentle with God. So God has delivered me. God has protected me. God has comforted me when, when I was hurting about things. God held me. God allowed me to prosper. So we have to have a good conscience. Whereas when people are speaking evil, our conscience is so good. It don't matter what you say about me. Because I sleep good every night and I take naps. Every day I take a nap to go and just rest a little bit from all of the hard work that I've done. So when you have a good conscience, you're going to sleep good. God is your, you know, like there is nothing. What can you say? No one can say anything bad about, they can say whatever they want bad. But that doesn't mean that it's true. It will be falsely accusing you of stuff. Because when you are a child of God, the intricate details about you are like this. There is no way, even when you were, even when you were a part of the world, that your heart can be anything fully like the world. Because when you a child of God, it's like you you kind of like you waver back and forth in between the two. It's like, okay, well, when you're in the world, it's like you waver back and forth. But you still call and chosen that God. But when you're in the world, you're wavering back and forth. It's like, okay, well, see, I want to follow God, but then like it was more fun over there. But it isn't more fun over there because when you see the 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 side effects of hanging out over there, that is going to give you depression, anxiety, stress, a lack of sleep, a lack of finances, a lack of of planning altogether. A you your future is demised. Who wants to be in those type of environments? I don't want to be in an environment that gives me stress all the time. 
Now, you know, like it's it's a one it's one thing to have stress and to know how to deal with it. But you're actually going out here and you're choosing unnecessary problems. Who wants to choose an unnecessary problem? You just now chose to hang around these people and now you have unnecessary problems. You could have prevented all of that by your choice, changing your choice, changing your decision. So now it's unnecessary problems that's taking place. See, that's one thing that I don't want is unnecessary problems god has given us his word as a preventative measure for everything in this world you can either go through it or you can prevent it by listening to god so now i want to go back into the um 10 reasons um 10 reasons to share your testimony. So we see that we should be given a reason for our faith. That way, when people slander us, we're going to have a good conscience. So let's look up this word conscious, for instance. Okay. I want to go look up the word in the Strong's Concordance. And let me briefly explain the um, Strong's Concordance to everyone. So the Strong's Concordance is basically like the translation of the Bible, the, the entire Holy Bible. So each word in the Bible is supposed to have its own lexicon of strong's name i'm sorry lexicon of strong's number including lexicon or, or strong's word and so what happens is if you when by me typing in the, the name conscious it pulls up every instance this word conscious was mentioned in the bible so it brings up every single verse in in the bible that it was mentioned and it also provides the different lexicon numbers and words so, for instance, conscious is written in the Bible 29 different verses, 29 different times, but it only has four different meanings. For instance, the word perfect, it has 94 different um, verses and only has 23 different meanings. So the word perfect in, the, in Hebrew means Tim, and it actually means to be mature in nature and in thought. So when we think of maturity, you have to think of perfect when it reflects out of the Hebrew, uh, the Old Testament. So when you're looking at the word perfect in the dictionary, it's going to say without flaw. But the Bible doesn't reflect that type of definition. And so we understand the word of God because we're able to analyze it from the hebrew scrolls and also in greek so the bible is is actually um comprised out of the dead sea scrolls so the old testament is the uh written in hebrew scrolls and the new testament is written in greek so the first five books of the the old testament is genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy and so we, we see that that is considered the Torah, which is also called the law. So you can call those first five books of the Bible, the Torah, or you can call it the law. So the law is basically what God commands us to do. We see the Ten Commandments, though, specifically is in Exodus chapter 20. Okay. And so if you want us to look in the New Testament, we're going to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And so that is considered the Gospels. It talks about the life of Jesus and his time here on earth. So we see that when Jesus was here on earth, he was 100% man and he was 100% God. He was made just as low, a little bit lower than the angels. But he was 100% man and 100% God. And so the difference is, is that we see that while Jesus is God, but he's also man, he doesn't use any of his godly powers to defend himself while he was here on earth. He was able to receive the Holy Spirit from his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is actually, uh, I believe it's Elijah, Elijah. So um, if you study the word of God and you try to like really dissect a lot of uh, different characters in the Bible, you'll understand that John the Baptist is basically um, uh, Elijah. Okay. And so we see that Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. Okay. And he receives the Holy Spirit. So he had access to all of his godly powers while he was here on earth as a human being being made lord in the angels right but he's still 100 god and 100 man so during his time here on earth jesus was crucified when he was crucified he was um he was basically murdered by the jews okay the jews plotted to kill jesus and i wanted to pull up this scripture um i was actually kind of like looking at this listening to this um bible that bible app yesterday okay here you go right here and so god gave me a very great revelation of this scripture so i wanted to go over this scripture uh so we're gonna go to mark 3 uh verse 2 through 6 and then i'll get back to the life of jesus okay but i wanted to talk about this um scripture briefly here so this is mark chapter 3 verses two through six okay all right and then so it says and they watched him whether he would heal him on the sabbath day wait hold on i i, I want to look at it from verse one so i'm look someone through six oops i put one. okay all right we're gonna look at so um it says and he entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand. So basically, he had no hand, right? Um, and a synagogue is basically like an assembly. It's a church, okay? So that's what a synagogue is. And so in verse 2, it says, And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. So this is Jesus, and the Jews are talking about, they're, so they're watching Jesus to see if they would heal this man whose hand was messed up. So in verse 3, and he said unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And, and, and he said unto him, is it lawful to do good on Sabbath days or do to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored whole 
as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightforward took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. So they plotted to kill Jesus. They plotted to kill him because he had healed a man's hand on the Sabbath. And so what, what God was showing me last night with this scripture right here. If you pay attention, let's go, let's go back up. I want to go back up to this because this is so powerful. It's like the word of God. It comes alive. It really, really transform your imagination. Your creativity is also sparked and it ignites just the oxytocin in your body. That's your love hormone. So God is doing so many different things when you just read one, a few verses in his book, in the Bible, in his word. God comes alive. He comes alive in his word, okay? So when, okay, so let's look at this. In verse two, it says, so, and they watched him, whether he would heal him on a Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. So this is a plot. They're plotting against Jesus at this point. So people are going to plot against you. Don't be alarmed by that. People will plot to say certain things to get you to, you know, um, to get you to believe in some of the stuff that they believe or support their ideologies that's messed up and to take your focus off of God to distract you to deter you so they plot they're plotting on Jesus saying they they ready to accuse him but what are they going to do they're going to accuse him of healing Healing somebody. I mean, just think about the way it sounds. They're going to accuse him for healing. Think about some of the reasons why people are jealous of you. They're jealous of your boldness. Or they, they're jealous of your skin color. They're jealous of the texture of your hair. They are jealous because of the type of shoes you wear. So they, they envy you because you are doing things different than them. So we all have access to 24 hours in a day. The same 24 hours. Everybody. No one is exempt from having access to 24 hours in a day. But what differentiates us is our choices. Our decisions. Our daily living and lifestyle. So that doesn't make any sense, right? 
Why would people be jealous of you because of that? Why is people jealous of others because of their money? They money. So your money. Your money can't bring you happiness. It can't make nobody be faithful to you. It can't provide you with peace. And it also cannot buy your seat in heaven. So why would it be that important? So yes, it's a necessity. But it isn't something that is supposed to be the number one thing in your life. You have all of these intangible things that you cannot buy with money. You cannot buy true, authentic friendship. You cannot buy true, authentic business partners. You cannot buy loyalty. You cannot buy... I guess you could buy motivation, but then that would deteriorate, deteriorate once the person leaves, whoever is your supporter or your coach. So really, you are here on this earth to be dependent upon God, to be led into abundance, prosperity, and peace. Through humbleness, humility, and your reliance on trusting God who's trustworthy. So, these people are plotting against Jesus. They want to accuse him. They're ready to accuse him. And so, and he said unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. So, he's commanding him now to stand up. So, now, understand this. We see the plot against Jesus to accuse him. But that don't stop Jesus from doing what he's, what he's supposed to do. He was there for a purpose. So it doesn't matter about who tries to plot against you. It doesn't matter about who tries to attack you uh, in whatever way it is. It doesn't matter. When you are there for a purpose... So I'm going to say it again. When you are there for a purpose, you're supposed to fulfill the purpose, plan, and will that God has for you. So how are you fulfilling God's purpose in your life? You don't have to share that with anybody. How are you fulfilling God's purpose? How are you fulfilling God's plan? How are you fulfilling God's will? It's about you right now. Not about anyone else. How are you able to give an answer for your hope? What is your testimony? What is it that you love about the word of God? What is your favorite scripture? So when we see that 
that Jesus is being plotted against, he don't stop doing what he's supposed to do, what he was prepared to do, what he's there to do. He continues. He says, stand up, stand forth. And he said unto them, now he's going to pay attention to what they saying, what they thinking. He know that they, they want to accuse him. He knows this already. He already know. When you had a, when you had a Holy Spirit, you already know. Because you know that you know, because God's shown you what you're supposed to know. And you know through discernment. So here we see Jesus is saying, stand forth. So the man stands up. And now he's now Jesus is about to focus on his attention on the Pharisees. So is it um, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? So basically he's talking about them. Cuz he knows what they're about to do. He knows what they're about to do when he heals this man's hand. So he asking them before they do what they're about to do. Because see, Jesus already know what's going to happen to them. They don't know what's going to happen to them. So it's saying, what well, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? He's asking them about themselves. To save life or to kill. But they held their peace. So they were compelled to be peaceful. So, and when he looked around about on them with anger, because it made Jesus angry. He was upset with them. He was grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. This is all discernment right here. He felt their hearts. They did not want that man to be healed because they were jealous of Jesus. And so, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Woo! So, I was just this. So, just now, when I just said they were jealous of Jesus, I, I didn't get that revelation yesterday. But I have been talking to God about jealousy because I have like in my life, I've had probably a bunch of people jealous of me, a, a combination of both men and women that have been jealous of me. So it, it was kind of difficult for me to build like a lot of more new networks, a lot of more new friendships, a lot of more new connections and bonds with people because I, I already know so many people that I really didn't feel like having to endure jealousy like that again people are when they are jealous to me I think it's jealousy equates to the unknown you do not know what a person is capable of doing when they are jealous of you and with me having to endure that for so long, that's a spirit. So I, I bind and I rebuke that spirit of jealousy. Every time I feel it, every time I hear it, every time I see it. 
So now, now uh, with me sitting up here reading this, I did not have a revelation of like that jealousy, like with this yesterday. But now I, I understand that they were jealous of Jesus. They were really jealous of him. And it's like God, he continually, he shows us how he experienced some of the same things that we experienced. So like we see here, Jesus asking him, is it, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? So like they're looking at the law, but Jesus he did, he did not come to extinguish or exterminate the law. He just came to let you know that you receive salvation through him. He had to take the keys of death from Satan because everybody was doomed to death. Because of the sinful nature. The sin offerings weren't enough because the law could not provide it couldn't provide the salvation that was needed in order to rectify the evil that is in men's hearts and in the hearts of people. So we see here, and, and so in the next one, it said to save life or to kill, but they held their peace. So they held their peace for a moment, right? And when he had looked around about them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored whole as the other one. They were jealous of him for doing this. It wasn't like they were like inspired. Oh my, like, oh, he is able to heal people. Like that's so exciting to see. They wasn't excited about that. They were jealous that he was doing it. So, and the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel and with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. They plotted to kill Jesus at that moment because he just asked them, which one it is to which is lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil. But when they just plotted evil against Jesus, what was that? That was evil that they were doing. So he couldn't heal the, the, the sick man with the, with the messed up hand, but they can go out and, and plot evil of killing Jesus. See, that's the thing. You know, we can't justify our means to an end. Right is right and wrong is wrong. So when we go back to the life of Jesus, I wanted to point that out because the Pharisees, they were jealous of Jesus. They didn't care that he was God. They didn't care that he was able to heal the sick and raise the dead. I don't think that it, even if even if he was able to move the clouds back, it wouldn't have made a difference to them. He could have raised all the people from the dead. It would not have made a difference to them uh, because of the hardness of their hearts. They were jealous of Jesus. See, many times you don't know a, a, a woman, another woman may be jealous of your shape. 
They may be jealous of your boldness. They may be jealous of your peaceful life. They may be jealous because you're happy. They may be jealous of a lot of different things that are going on in your life because it's in there. They don't have the ability to produce those qualities. So it doesn't matter about that. What you have to do is to stay the course. You see, Jesus, everything that he did, everything that we read about in the Bible, everything that God shows us and tells us, it, God is giving us hope. When they plotted against him, they wanted to accuse him. He still healed the man's hand. He still did what he needed to do. It didn't matter what they plot was. They plot couldn't impact what his plan was. So when God has a plan for you, it doesn't matter about what nobody else's plans are. It doesn't matter about their plot. It doesn't matter about their scheme. It doesn't matter if they want to sabotage you at work. It doesn't matter if they want to get you kicked out of school. It doesn't matter about if they want to mess up your marriage. It doesn't matter about none of that. When God has a plan, it was already ordained from the beginning. God's plan will be fulfilled. That's inevitable. So let's look at this word. Let's look at this scripture here in Mark. So it says... Uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Peter. So it says in verse 16, 1 Peter 3, in verse 16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So conscious. We're going to look at, at, at um the word conscious here. So we see that Jesus is being plotted against all type of stuff is going on with him and guess what he gets crucified by the jews the jealous the jealous people the devil they they are actually being guided by satan because satan is the one that's jealous that 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 lies that is envious that covet all of those sickly things. Those are the things that the devil does. So they so jealous of Jesus. Now that he's crucified, he takes the keys of death back out of the out of uh from Satan. He's resurrected. He takes the keys back from Hades, uh the, the it's Satan, right? And he goes and he he resurrects. He's on the earth for 40 days. He talks to people that even were doubting him, doubting the fact of his resurrection. And so the, the religious Pharisees, which were the Jews, they still wanted to silence people from spreading the word that he resurrected. He literally resurrected. This isn't a fairy tale. This was not a movie. This was something that they clearly seen with their eyes. But now they want to say, don't spread the word of his resurrection. Why? 
because they didn't want to have to endure the ownership and accountability with killing God. So now you have these same Jews that has been, been taught these ideologies from generation to generation to generation to generation. Because they are under a curse. This is why Revelation 3.9 says that they claim to be Jews, but they are from the synagogue of Satan. So that's the church of Satan. The assembly of Satan. That's who they are. That's where they're from. So this word conscious here. Let's look at this word conscious. I actually just, I actually was just right there and now I just went back. Okay, so we're looking at 1 Peter 3 and 16. So the word conscious here, it is Strong's numbers 4893. It is pronounced sunadasis, sunadasis. What it means is perception. So this is your per perception, your moral conscious, your conscious. Co-perception. That's what it says. I want to put that out there. It says co-perception. Co-perception. Not, not like your main perception. This is your co-perception. So your conscious isn't something that is your uh your main perception, your main concepts. Your conscious is a part of your co-belief system. Yo, God doesn't, God doesn't work directly with, you know, uh, and God does work. He, he works alongside your co-perception, but God works directly with your perspective, your perception too, your belief systems. So conscious in the Bible, it means co-perception. So the things that you believe, your moral conscious. So do you think it's okay to push somebody down? Do you think it's okay to slander another person? Do you think it's funny? Funny, like for instance, let me let me say this: that there were some people that I know. They literally would show me videos of people hurting themselves on the video, and they would think that it was funny. And so I'm like, that's not funny. Like funny is a cat jumping really high abruptly, you know, for no reason. Like, you know, cats and animals doing different things. Like I'm talking about authentic funny. Not, not funny where some, it's funny when somebody gets hurt. That's not funny. So this, that's like a moral conscience. Why is it so many people that actually think that it's, it's cool and it's funny when somebody hurts themselves? Like, that's not funny at all. There are real, actually, very, very funny YouTube videos that I find all the time. I think I'm going to start posting more of them. But it's like, you know, you have to really, really sit back and, and understand what your moral compass, your moral conscience is telling you. Because this is your co-perception. 
It is in your direct belief. It is in your direct concept of perspective. Conscious is your cold. It's alongside. It's underneath your main. The main parts. The main perspective. The main belief system. So how... How are you? How is your conscious being influenced? Your co-perception. In this co-perception we see here, so having a good co-perception, whereas they speak evil of you, as they are evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So your conscious is your your uh fleshly perspective it's your flesh beliefs your existing pre-existing thoughts and belief systems that you already have that has been influenced by your fleshly desires your fleshly rejections that's what your conscience is so how is this co-perception being maintained when they slandering you? Because slander will, will impact your desire and your level of rejection. So this is why your conscious is a co-perception. It's a co-belief system. It's secondary, not primary. You know how like you authorize secondary account holders on your business account or your personal account? You the primary account holder. They're the secondary. So it's like you have this, the, the your main belief is in God. But your secondary co-perception is influenced by your flesh. What they said about you, how they gossiped about you, how they treated you, when they invited you over, when they didn't invite you, why you wasn't invited. This is your co-perception, your conscience. God, yes, God will influence your, your co-perception, but your primary God is working out with your primary. So let's let's look at this really quick. I want to kind of um shift gears for a moment. Okay, so your your primary your primary perception is this. This isn't your co-perception. God is going to influence your primary 
perception. Your conscious is your secondary perception. Okay? Secondary perception. Strong's number 4893, which is sunaidasis. Sunaidasis, co-perception. And so we see that Strong's number 144 is pronounced Iestasis. Iestasis. It means perception. It also means understanding and it means discernment. So Iestasis is properly the brand of sense discernment which cuts through. It's your ethical moral. Matters to really size things up. It's used in Philippians 1 and 9. So let's look at Philippians 1 and 9. And it says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to glory, to the glory and praise of God. So let's look at this at the um, King James. So knowledge in all judgment. So let's look at this word judgment. So that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. All judgment. So you're going to look at the word judgment in the, in the Strong's Concordance. And so that is in Philippians 1 and 9, which is in the New Testament. So that's going to be a Greek, Greek word. So, once again, this means iestasis, discernment, judgment, perception. So, that is how God influences us. He influences our judgment, our perception, and our discernment. That is knowledge. That's what judgment means. That's what it means. So we see that we have two different types of perception. You have eternal. You have uh, you have all judgment, which is iestasis, and you have co-perception, which is your conscious. And we see this in First Peter three and sixteen. Philippians 1 and 9, we see iestasis, all judgment. So, what God wants us to see and understand is that when, when he was 
here on earth, he was able to influence everyone through his resurrection. Once he ascended into heaven, because he was here for 40 days after he resurrected, he ascended into heaven. And, and, and 10 days later, he sent down the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended on, on, on his children, on, on the apostles. So we have access to the Holy Spirit. And we have access to all of the things that God enabled us to do. And we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So let's talk about your testimony. So people love to hear stories. This goes for both believers and unbelievers. Like I said yesterday, people are going to be spreading gossip. They're going to spread hate. They're going to spread uh, malice. They're going to spread slant. They're going to spread all type of things. They talk about reality TV all the time. And then some, like some guys, they go out here and they talk about each other. Right after they just left their friends. Your co-workers will talk about you. So they spread in these type of things. And God wants us to spread hope, joy, including our stories. Gives God all the glory. How did you overcome? It talks about overcoming in your experience. Your experience should deliver how did you overcome through God? How did God inspire you? How did God encourage you? Unbelievers do have a hard time disputing what you say in your story. So there have been documentaries and theories that are created to try to explain uh to try to explain God. They try to have all of these vivid imagination they just have to give an explanation to every single thing. So they create these sort of um, uh, theories that they feel are plausible. And they don't want, they don't want to, uh, nobody to argue with those theories. But when we believe in God, our story, it doesn't matter who tries to dispute it. It doesn't matter who tries to refute it. It doesn't matter about any of that. Keep your story alive. Keep it alive. Don't put it under the bus. Don't say, oh, it don't mean nothing. It do mean something. It really does. It really, really does. There was this lady that I was talking to. And she says, well, you know, her story. She said, well, well she don't really talk about her story that much. And because her story really is not that impactful. How? Your story is impactful. Who told you that it wasn't? That it didn't come from God. Anything that you have overcome in life can impact the lives of people that have not overcome. I'm going to say that again. Anything that you have overcome in life will positively impact those that have not overcome in life. 
So share your story. I had, it, it was a guy that was at church and he, all he ever talked about was like how he grew up and his parents was always like in church and he grew up in a church and he got married so young and he talks about him and his wife. They was married pretty young, like I think 18 and he 20. And it kind of like they story, like I got married when I was 18 years old. So he would say like, you know, my story is just, it really don't mean nothing. And I'm, I'm looking at him like, oh no, yes it do. I want to hear more about what he's talking about. But sometimes he would cut his story short. And I, and I, I said one time, I think I said it one time I said, you know, your story really impacted me because it made me think about how I raised my own children. So he kept cutting himself off like week after week. And I'm like, I'm thinking like, I want to know what, what he's talking about. Cause he's saying, because for me, like, okay, let me give you, let me, let me share this with you all. So the way I talk to my kids, I'm very, very assertive. Very assertive with my children. I love my children. Okay. And my kids, like for me, I make sure that we understand what it means to live in this world without making excuses. So there is no excuse because excuses are permanent situations. Excuses are permanent. So we don't make excuses for anything. And this is something that I think is like clearly embedded in them. And they are very, my kids are young. It's, but they are some very, they are very mature children. And so I don't, we don't make excuses because excuses are permanent. And so when I'm talking to my kids about certain things, like for instance, like with my, my youngest son, he'll be like, uh, oh mom, you know, I was, uh, he, he was like, no, you know what? Forget it, mom. That's, that's just an excuse. I'm not even going to ask you that. I'm not even going to ask you that. And I'm like, oh, well, I want to know now. What were, what were you going to say? And then he'd be like, well, what do you think about me not being able to pay this, uh, bill that I have? Cause I, I, I wanted to help out my, my uh, grandma, but I can't because I wanted to buy this other thing online that I seen and I feel like I got to do this instead. So my, my kids, they always going to have bills. Because you have to understand that even though you are like my youngest child, he is 17, he's about to be 18. You still have bills. You have to think about all the bills. Your family bills. Your friends bills. That you have to spend when you're going out with your friends. You have to think about the things that your family want from you. So when they ask, and when they ask certain things, they, they want you to spend certain money or amount of money on them. That's the family bill. You're going to have your, um, 
your baby bills because my son has a baby. So your parenting bills. Also, now you got to be concerned with your, your, your daughter's mom bill. So you got, you got all of these bills. You got to think about how you contributing to the, the household bills with the lights, the water, everything. So you have to be conscientious, conscious about all of these things. And so we are without excuse. And so it's so important. So my daughter, she had her apartment. She had to pay her, her electric bills for like a few months. And she noticed how expensive it was. And I say, you know, that's why you have to be conscious about the things that you're doing. You want to make sure that you're maintaining a certain amount of, of electricity when you need it. Use your electricity when you need it only. So if I'm asleep or if I'm taking a nap, I don't need no lights on. If I'm not in the room, I don't need no lights on in that room. Think about the things that you're doing, you know, because you're contributing to your bills. It's so important. So my son, he say, mom, you know, like I got all of these bills. And I haven't paid an electric bill yet. And I said, I know. But when you get your house, you're going to have to pay the electric bill. You're going to have to pay the water bill. You got to pay the gas bill. The sewer, every time you flush the toilet, is going to be on the water bill. Then you're going to have to pay the trash bill. Then you got to make sure you maintain the line. So now you got, you've been having all of these family bills, your friend bills, your daughter bills, and your kid's mom bills. And then he called his, he called my bill and his dad bill separate bills than everybody else. Cause I'll be like, oh, I can't believe you ain't buy me no chips out the store. He was like, mom, those chips, $2 and 50 cents. You want me to get you two bags? <laughs> like what? What are you talking about? You can't get two bags of chips out the stove. I can eat one today and one tomorrow. He like, Ma, that's $5. You got a budget, Ma. I have to budget. <laughs> I have to budget. I have to budget. Okay, remember when you want them sun donuts that's a dollar in the stove. And you be like, give me five of them. That's $5 for fat donuts. Talking about get you an apple juice. That's $3.99. Depending on which store, it's $2.99. That's $8. You had $10 almost just from getting some donuts and a juice. Don't be making, don't make me call back out the numbers now. So I, I love having fun with my kids, but at the same time, it's serious. Because you have to take you have to take things in life serious, you know, and it's all about making sure that your goals 
are being aligned with those goals that God wants for you. Make sure your goals is being aligned. It doesn't matter about what unbelievers think about you. It doesn't matter how they want to shape the story about your life. It isn't about them. It's about you. How are you focusing on God in your life? It isn't about how they think you focusing on God in your life. Like all my friends, like a lot of my friends, they say, well, what? What you move down there to Memphis for? You trying to get you a rapper? I was like, what? Like, you know that that was only my friend when I was drinking. You could not be my friend talking to me like that. If I, I you was just my drinking buddy. Clearly, you was just the drinking buddy. Because I did not come down to no Memphis to get no rapper. Okay? So, like, when I think about, I, I, I just really think about, you know, like, some of our relationships that we build with people, sometimes they are so secular that you have to chop those friendships off. It's like, uh-uh, you got to move on. Just move along. Move along. We don't have nothing in common. Yes, you are part of my network, but we are not a we no. I don't I don't live my life like that anymore. I don't I don't drink. I'm not hanging out saying, hey. I'm not doing that. Okay, so that was when I was drunk. And I did that on the weekends. Then I go back home to my quiet house. So it's so important to understand that it doesn't matter about the way people shape your story. When God is in you, the, your, the glory that comes out of your story from God, that story is going to impact their life anyway. So it's no longer about your old self. You're a new person created in Christ. That means that your old life don't have nothing to do with your new life. So you have peace of God. You had a peace of Christ in you. So um, it also, when you share your testimony, it creates transparency within the church. So having these type of vulnerable conversations allows other people to share their story. Don't ever make your story feel, don't ever feel like your story is not relevant. Because that boy at the church, I promise you all, when it comes to my kids, I promise I sit down and I have long discussions with them. And so one time this, the boy at the church, he, he said, my parents have long discussions about everything. And I'm sitting here looking at him like, he just don't know. He's actually describing how I am with my kids. And, and, and so he's like, he's like, uh, yeah, my parents, they, they've always been in church and, and they're always having long discussions about stuff. And sometimes I felt like the discussions, it really didn't it matter. But when I, when I go to school and I see other kids that don't believe in God, you know, I inspire them. 
So when he was talking about his inspiration and how he inspired other people to listen to church music and to listen to Christian music, then, you know, he influenced the other people around him. And when he got married, he even influenced them even more to place value on marriage. So he said that even though these conversations that he had with his parents be so long, they really, really impacted his life and his belief system. So when I heard that, it, it provided hope every single time. Like, oh, that testimony is powerful. So I could keep going on at this same rate with my kids. Because guess what? The things that I say to them is impacting them. Our engagement, it is impactful because God is in our conversations. My daughter, she feels that she could just, she thinks she could be anything she wants. She just recently went to the White House. She went to uh, the, the Congress uh, in Washington, D.C. She, she had a all expense paid from her school. So it's like, you know, when I think about this type of stuff, I just know that what we may see and what we may feel like is not impacting others is really impacting them. And that young man's story at church really, really gave me the courage to keep going because I was like, well, maybe I should just really bag up and, and, and just quit pressuring my kids in a way up with certain things because i i feel like sometimes i have put too much pressure on them but i also encourage them so now it doesn't matter what they call me about my son say mom i found the church i go to church every sunday now he said mom i got baptized my daughter mom i got baptized even though they're they're dead their dad has been an atheist their entire life Then, then my son, he say, mom, I, I, my, my dad went to church. I didn't ask him anything else. I, I was like, you know, I didn't get into the deep personal stuff. I was like, he went to church. What? Are you serious? Or are you playing? So it's about the encouragement. I knew that because God said, as long as I encourage my kids, they're going to inspire and influence all of the people around them. So, yes, I am a very assertive, passive aggressive parent. I'm very, very passive in discipline, I would say, but I'm very aggressive in communication. So share your story, share your testimony. It creates transparency and you become a resource for other people. You, you provide them with like long-term support. Your story can be the, the key to unlocking someone else's prison. That's what this article talks about in step seven. God uses people as his hands and feet. 
So you are like God's hands or his feet. You are God's eyes so that you can pray. You are God's feet so that you can walk and talk and move and, and pray for people. In step eight, you keep your initial salvation testimony alive in your mind. The more and more you tell your story, the more and more you feel closer connected to God. The feeling that you have with God, it comes alive. You deliver more testimonies as God continues his work in you. Because sometimes when you're giving a testimony, it could be like uncomfortable. Because people always like sharing things that, you know, that is perceived to be liked or is perceived that everyone will notice. You know, like, don't don't seek the validation of other people. For instance, when I talked about yesterday with my friend and he was talking about, why would you post the picture and say that you're not going to wear that outfit outside, but you post it for everybody to see? Well, clearly it's ambiguous. How many people do you know literally post something that they're not going to wear outside? And then they go outside and take a picture with what they what they want what they like wearing. Sometimes it's okay to share things that you're uncomfortable with sharing. It's okay to take a, a picture without filter. It's okay not to wear makeup. Like I don't wear makeup. So you're gonna see all of you're gonna see my face. I have clear skin though. So that's the point, you know, like sometimes my, my lip gloss is smeared though. And I have to wipe my lip gloss off. Or my hair is nappy. See what I'm saying? But it's still like, I, I, I like how, how with my hair nappy anyway, it ain't really nappy is I got good hair. So I don't care about, I don't seek the validation of other people. It's about how satisfied are you with the things that God has given you. So the more testimonies that you give, God continues his work in you. Sharing a small story. I was, we was out um, with, with my church. We was out like ministering to people. And this one lady, she was kind of like, she was scared. She kept, she kept saying, well, she, I don't know if she was scared. She was just shy. And she just was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to pray like that. I don't know how to pray like that. And I don't, she kept saying that. And it was like, it's okay. I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to do it with you. Just go ahead and say whatever was on your mind. Let's pray for this person. And you take the lead. Say whatever, whatever is coming to your mind for this person. What, what things would you like for God to do for them? So when, like, I used to, everybody, in order to know how to do something, you had to first be a fool. You had to first not know how to do it. You had to first not have the awareness or the knowledge about how to do it. Before you cooked your first meal, you have never cooked. 
Before you learn how to ride a bike, you didn't know how to ride a bike. Before you learn how to be a good friend, you didn't know how to be a good friend. Before you learn how to be a good student, you didn't know how to be a good student. Before you learn how to be a good spouse, you never knew how to be a good spouse. So all the things that you know now, you never knew before. So we all had to learn it. Before you knew how to pray, you didn't know how to pray. So don't ever in your life think that you're better than anybody else. So this is why I don't support judging other people. You don't know what other people went through. Before you knew how to do what you do, you didn't know how to do what you do. Before you knew how to drive, you didn't know how to drive. So the most important thing is to understand that prayer is a conversation with God. So before, before I knew how to pray, I didn't know how to pray. I began conversating with God. It's like when you're conversating with your friends, instead, now you're talking to God. So your conversations are going to be deeper because now your request, now I can start asking God for stuff. Okay. So now these conversations that I'm having with the Lord is more in depth because now God is what? God is listening. So I'm going to conversate with God. It is so many people that I've heard say, I, I can't even count. that say, well, I don't know how to pray. It's okay. Prayer is a conversation. It started out like this. God, hey, God, I need you. God, are you listening to me? Can you hear me, God? Help me, God. I need your help. Guide me, God. Comfort me. My heart hurt. My heart is hurting. Heal my heart, God. Take the pain out my heart. That's how conversations start with God. That's how prayer happens with God. It starts with conversations. The more and more you conversate, the more and more you know and understand God. It's just a conversation. And it was a conversation of my heart hurting. God, my heart is hurting. I need your help. Jesus, 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 help me. So that's what we had to do. We had to learn how to talk to God. We call on God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's all I know. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Give me peace. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Help me. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me. That's all you know how to say, then that's what you say. Whatever is coming into your mind, that's what you say to God.
And then he, he'll start out by, okay, calm down. Take it slow. Take it slow a little bit. What is it that you need? That's how God talk. What is it that you need? I'm here. What is it that you need? You might be drunk talking to God. You could be drunk as I don't know what. God is like, I'm here. God is like, drink some water. That's your first solution. That's the first solution God gives you. Go drink some water. Calm down. Now say what's on your mind. What is it that you need? That's the way God talks to us. God talks to our minds. God talks to your perception. God talks to your judgment. He talks to your discernment. Your conscience is secondary. That's a co-perception. Those are external influences. God is speaking to your internal influences. He's speaking, he's speaking to your, your stasis, your full perception, your understanding, your discernment. That's what God is speaking to. That's your primary beliefs. Not, not your conscience, which is secondary. That's not what God talks to. He, he, he does. Once, once he influences your perception, your understanding and discernment, now they are your primary influence over your cold perception, which is your conscience. So I just wanted to make that point out and, and make sure that everyone is understanding that God wants us to focus on the things that he wants us to do. Okay, so we go back to this scripture here. When we go back to, uh, which one is it? We go back to First uh, Peter 3, 15 and 16. Having a, a good conscience, which is a co-perception. Your co-perception is going to be influenced by what? Your judgment, your discernment, and your understanding, your perception. So it doesn't matter about people, people try to accuse you or make up about you. Forget what they talking about. You not who they say you are. You who God said you are. If they called you bougie, you know you not bougie. I know I'm not bougie. I am very cool. I am very reserved. I am funny. I am great to be around. I am peaceful. And I don't have no drama. Ain't no drama knocking on my door. And I'm not knocking on nobody's door. I don't have no drama, none. I don't even like watching drama on TV. I don't watch that stuff. I'm not enticed by it. It doesn't impress me. 
So going back to these reasons now, the number one reason, the top 10 reason why you should give your testimony is because it glorifies God. Simple as that. Your testimony glorifies God. Share your story, share your testimony, and don't be scared to do it. Stop seeking the validation of other people who cares about what they think. It doesn't matter. Remember that your testimony can't be interrupted by nothing because it's a story that God has delivered you and brought you through. It doesn't matter about what the world thinks. Let the world think what the world thinks. And let God shape your thoughts and your thinking. So there's another um, video that I wanted to play. I have enough time to play it. I want to play this video. It's, um, it's called Nourishing and Bearing Your Testimony. It was... Um, Oh, no, it's, it's, I don't want to read that one. I don't want to play that one. I want to play this one. This is a, The Mystery of Storytelling. This is by Julian Friedman at TEDx. Um, it says, how we tell stories seems to be a mysterious, mysterious process that millions around the world want to be able to do. But 99.9% .9 effectively fail. Why is it so hard for storytelling audience to be one? What we communicate can change the lives of the writer and the audience. However, why stories matter and how to tell them better may not be as mysterious as the same. So Julian Friedman has worked with writers for over 40 years. He believes in understanding that storytelling is more about the audience than the writer will write result in better storytelling. So in the spirit of ideas worth spreading, TEDx is a, a program that basically um, helps self-organize people. Uh, so let's go ahead and get right to it. This is a uh, uh, by Julian uh, Friedman. On lots of things, and I think we, I'm in awe of writers. I'm filled with admiration for them. It takes an incredible amount of courage to put your soul on paper and have people who are probably much less talented than you, certainly much less creative than you, trample all over it. Agents are often derided. Um, uh, we, we have a bad press, which actually is fine. Someone once said to me, you know, you're a really good agent. I said, don't tell people that. I, I want to be known as someone who's nasty. Um, good agent was once described to me as a marriage bro broker and a bad one as a pimp and we are trying to develop long-term relationships but it's difficult there's a story about why in hollywood scientists who are at the cutting edge of research into the latest uh, cures for cancer are now using agents rather than rats and there are five reasons for this the first is that people in california are crazy the second is the animal liberation movement um, are targeting scientists who are experimenting on rats. The third is there are now more agents in California than there are rats. Fourth is you can't get emotionally involved with an agent. And finally, there are some things that rats won't do. <laughs> I now want to talk about adultery because writers need to be unfaithful. Um, 
And, and with due respect to anyone here who's religious, the Holy Trinity, adultery and the Holy Trinity. Uh, for me, the Holy Trinity in my life and my work is the writer, the characters and the audience. As a writer, you live with your characters for a long time. You nurture them. After all, you create them. You have a kind of fidelity towards them. But your audience, you very rarely meet them. You certainly, if you're going to be successful, will never meet more than a minute proportion of them. Uh, they probably have prejudices and tastes that completely differ from yours. You probably wouldn't want to know what their personal hygiene was like. And basically, you're just there to thrill them, to turn them on, to titillate them, and by doing so yourself, and then leave them. So your primary relationship has got to be with your audience, not with your characters. Now, if the proper study for writing is not to write, what is it? I think it's human behavior. It's, it's why people behave the way they do, why they are so irrational, why they can do such outrageous and terrible things. Irrationality is really quite interesting. My mother always used to win arguments with me by saying, don't be rational about my neuroses. And um, there are some experts, some people who've written about screenwriting who I think are very good. The majority, I think, are not. Uh, Leos Egri uh, uh, wrote a book called The Art of Dramatic Writing. And what's interesting is the subtitle. The subtitle is its basis in the creative understanding of human motivation. So that's what writers should be doing. Now, we know that millions of people want to write. Why? What, what is it that compels people to tell stories? George Orwell wrote a book, which is his, probably his least well-known book, but I think is possibly his best book. It's called Why I Write. And he describes why he writes, but he also says he thinks it applies to the majority of writers. And there are four reasons he gives. The most important and uh, comprehensive one is sheer egotism. Sheer egotism. The other reasons are immortality, getting back at people who put you down, and trying to make the world a better place. Um, Samuel Johnson would not have agreed with him. He is famous for having said, no man but a blockhead ever wrote but for money. He also said, one of my favorite quotes about writing, when he was asked to read someone's manuscript, your work is both good and original. Unfortunately, the part that is good is not original, and the part that is original is not good. <laughs> so I believe that stories define us, not language. It's often said the language is what defines us. But you know, dolphins have language, whales have language, elephants have language, chimpanzees have language, but they don't, as far as we know, have stories, despite Planet of the Apes. Most of the books about screenwriting and most of the courses tell you there is no formula. Many of them also tell you you must write out of your own experience, which is one of the main reasons why most of the stories a lot of these people write are very boring. Most of us have pretty boring lives. Or is there a formula? Years ago, I was studying under Frank Daniel, a famous teacher, and we asked him if 
um, when in a pre-literate society, in other words, before there was any writing, when the old wise men sat round the campfire telling moral tales to try and bind the clan together, given that they'd not read Sid Field or Robert McKee, would they have used the three-act structure? Frank's... From the beginning, we've dreamed of creating a better future. Now, we're setting out to be carbon neutral by 2050. And we're going to keep dreaming, no matter where we go. Frank said, the three-act structure is actually a function of how the human brain works. You plant a piece of information, it pays off. You have to have a beginning to get to the middle, to get to the end. Sometimes it's said the British film industry doesn't work like that. It has a beginning, a muddle, and an end. Um, actually, Aristotle then described the formula. And he did that two and a half thousand years ago. Not only does it did it work then, it still works today. So actually, anyone who says there's no formula is wrong, there is. And Aristotle did it in a way that makes it incredibly easy to remember. There's three words, pity, fear, and catharsis. He said you need to make the audience feel pity for a character. You do that usually by making the character go through some undeserved misfortune. What that does is it enables the audience to emotionally connect with the character. And once the writer has got that emotional connection between the audience and the character, the writer begins to have some control over the audience. You then put the character into a worse and worse and worse situation. And because of the emotional connection, the identification, the audience feels fear. When you release the character from the jeopardy or whatever the situation they're in, the audience experiences a catharsis. Pity, fear, catharsis. Now, the catharsis is actually the result not of any intellectual activity, but of chemicals being released in the bloodstream, notably one called phenylethylalamine, otherwise known as PEA, or the happiness drug. Now, you can actually cause that re release in your bloodstream by taking speed or ecstasy. If you want to be a bit more legal, eating chocolate or having sex. So we can try and save the British film industry by giving bars of chocolate to people who are going to see British films. They'll come out of there and tell their friends they had a really good time. But just so you can see, this is not specific to a bush to face bears, wild boars, mammoth elephants, saber I'm going to fast forward a bit. All their stories much more visually because they aren't using dialogue. So they think you should. Now I started out by saying, we're in the business of rejection. Um, Diana Rigg edited a book once about the worst reviews ever given of theatre plays, and it was called No Turn Unstoned. And I think, in a way, we need to face the fact that there are going to be people who criticise what writers do, what creative people do, and writers have got to get rejected. All great writers have had lots of rejections. We know that. We could, in fact, do an entire TEDx on rejection. You know, guy goes into his publishing company, big marble uh, entrance hall, security guy says, who have you come to see? He said, well, I've come to see my editor. I've sent in my manuscript. Security guy looks on the computer screen and says, well, I'm afraid your editor's not in, but I'll reject it if you like. <laughs> and 
all that does is it tells you that you will be rejected by people who probably aren't as creative or as talented as you. And that, unfortunately, also often includes agents. So to end, I want to read you the best rejection letter I've ever seen. It comes from, uh, apparently from a Chinese economics journal, and it was uh, as a result of someone submitting an article. We have read your manuscript with boundless delight. If we were to publish your paper, it would be impossible for us to publish any work of a lower standard. As it is unthinkable that in the next thousand years we shall see its equal, we are to our regret compelled to return your divine composition and to beg you a thousand times to overlook our short sight and timidity. So on behalf of, of, of agents everywhere, to writers, please forgive us for our short sight and timidity. And if, while you're egotistically trying to get immortality, while you're trying to make the world a better place, while you're trying to get back at people who put you down, please don't forget, you have to entertain us. You have to enable us to look at ourselves. Because when we're looking up at the screen, we're not looking at the actors who are saying your wonderful lines. We're not looking at the characters you have so lavishly and lovingly created. We're certainly not looking at you. We're looking at ourselves. Because only we are the storytellers. And only we can give you immortality. Thank you. Okay, so um, a few things here. I like the fact that he talked about, um, you know, like just storytelling yourself how we should deal with rejection you are not the person that gives yourself immortality but god is the one who gives us eternal life and so um we just have to be able to decipher what is um ethical what is positive and what is not right that is being said so i loved a lot of the points that he made specifically about a lot of the couple different writers that he talked about um and how the original work wasn't good but no he said the good work wasn't original and the original work wasn't good so that i thought that that was very funny because when you're a writer you're always going to you know um just keep trying and revising and revising 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 it's about revising over and over and over and over again but it's like when you're giving your story about your testimony everything is just impromptu so like every day when i am on the podcast everything is impromptu it's the it's the holy spirit leading me on what to talk about on what to say and so i think that that is very original now at times is it am i going to always use a like correct language maybe and maybe not you know there's a different audience every single day so um we just have to consider that but you are the storyteller it does if other people and their stories they do matter but what's really important is you giving your story. It doesn't matter if people reject it. Don't think about the rejection part. Did you know that 95% of the things that you worry about will never happen? 
This is according to statistics that they did a study. Psychologists did a study and they, that in the study, it was proven that 95% of all of the things that you worry about will never, ever happen. Never. Let me see if I can pull this up. I, I had talked about it in another podcast. 95% of all things. will never happen. 95% of all the things that you worry about will never ever happen. See, it says about 85%, this is on psychology today. This is an article that is published by Susanna Newsonen. 85% of all the things that people worry about never happen and people who let go of worries are generally healthier than those who stress see this is research and it says if what we worry about does happen 79 percent of us said we handled the outcome better than we thought we would people who let go of worries instead of stressing over them are healthier than those who don't this is on psychology today how to stop worrying about things you can't change just type type that into google and type in psychology today so of all of those things when you're telling your story don't think about people rejection they're probably most likely are gonna like it more than they dislike it so accept uncertainty and learn to thrive in it call your friends you know like talk to them about it talk and share your story practice mindfulness distract yourself with other with activities and stuff you know don't think about the worry or the stress or the problem okay so i only got a couple minutes here um it's time for me to pray all right Thank you. I want to thank you all so much for joining me today. I, I was a little sleepy today. I did. I was asleep prior to the podcast and I woke up to finish the podcast. So it was important for me to do what I'm supposed to do. And so that's why I wanted to uh, just let you all know to just be good. Everything is going to turn itself out. All right. And just have faith in the Lord. Okay. So let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for just giving us your word today. We thank you for inspiring us and encouraging us. We ask that you will be included in every single choice and decision in our life. So God, we just ask, we know that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the rulers of the darkness of this world. Therefore, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bind and cast down spiritual wickedness in high places, and we render them harmless and ineffective against us against our mind, will, and emotions, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions and reactions, our finances, our bloodline, the bloodline, the bloodline, our generation, a generation, a generation. And God, we redeem your assignment upon our life. 
upon our perspective, upon our understanding, upon our discernment and judgment, Lord God. We pray that you will continue to influence our perception and influence our co-perception, which is our conscious, Lord God. We thank you right now, God, that your plan, will, and purpose will be fulfilled in our life in the name of Jesus Christ. But most importantly, Lord, we want your will to be done in our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your blood. Amen. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. So on Sunday, we will be doing prayer. That's what we're going to do on Sunday. Prayer, prayer, prayer. So let everybody know prayer requests. We're going to be doing some prayer, prayer, prayer on Sunday. All right. So I'll see you all on Sunday. You all have a, have a nice weekend. Until then, stay blessed.